You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Turn to Jonah chapter 3. We're continuing our series through the book of Jonah. And yes, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, we're still concerned about our one. As a matter of fact, just this week, uh, I was able to share through text messaging with my one. And uh, this, this person is really close to the kingdom. So I ask that you pray for this person. And I ask that you continue uh, to share with your one. You know, right now in our country, I think that the virus of fear is spreading. But it's time for the church of God to make the gospel spread even faster. You know, as I said last week, the Holy Spirit uh, is not quarantined. The Holy Spirit does not have to practice social distancing. And so this morning, we are one church scattered in thousands of locations. But today, we come together as one. So Jonah chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. Jonah chapter 3 in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, exceeding, was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and, pro- and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, f- herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. How many of you like surprises? Well, judging by the number of hands in this room, no one. (laughs) And I really don't like surprises either. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that when it's Christmas or around my birthday, I always kind of want to know what is ahead. But you know what? Here lately, I feel like nothing seems to be surprising me. But as we read uh, Jonah chapter 3, we see a huge surprise. That one surprise in the book of Jonah is not necessarily a fish swallowing Jonah. The great surprise in chapter 3 is the grace of God not only saving Jonah, but sparing the city of Nineveh. Jonah has just spent 72 hours on a foam blubber mattress in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea in a fish's stomach. And what was 72 hours had to have felt like eternity. But as God commanded, the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. It was as if that old commercial pop, pop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. What a surprise, what a relief for not only the fish, but also for the prophet. 
But God was not finished with Jonah yet. And this morning we see what God is going to do through his prophet Jonah. But I want to remind you that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about a fish. The book of Jonah is not about the city of Nineveh. The book of Jonah is about God and his relentless pursuit of grace with grace and mercy for rebels who do not deserve it. So this morning, chapter three is going to teach us this one truth. It teaches us that God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Praise God. That God can restore a rebellious prophet and he can relent judgment from a wicked city that repents. So let's look at those two things this morning. Number one, I want you to see the restoration of a rebellious prophet. In verse number one, the Bible says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. If you have a, a Bible that you can write on, or maybe one that you can highlight on your phone, just underline that thought a second time. Jonah had just repented in the belly of the fish. He had survived three days in the stomach. He was now vomited onto dry land, and he is washed on shore. And then in that moment, God calls him again. He was washed up to many, but not to God. God gave him a second chance to obey, and as we said last week, God is determined, he is persistent with his grace, both in God's discipline of his man, but also in his new directive. You know, maybe some of you have wondered, have I gone too far in my life? Is God done with me? Maybe you were in the church, maybe you were a Christian, living a life for the Lord, and then you fell away and went involved in sin and, and, and you've rebelled against God and you ask, is God done with me? Well, listen, if you want to know the answer to that, look in the book and see Jonah. Jonah was a man of God, a prophet, one who had heard the very voice of God and yet ran the absolute opposite direction from God in, defeat, in, in complete defiance. And yet God gave him multiple chances. Listen, none of us have gone further than Tarshish None of us have gone farther than the belly of the fish. Your capacity to sin is no match for God's capacity to forgive. Because the Bible says, as Jonah said, salvation belongs to the Lord. See, the gospel is a message of new beginnings. The gospel is a message of fresh starts. Jesus died and rose from the dead to make all things new. And listen, you and I may never give ourselves a second chance, but that doesn't mean that God can't give you a second chance. It's not that we continue in sin that grace may abound, but the good news is this, is that God's grace does abound. So in verse number two, God says to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, if you know the story, that probably sounds very familiar to you because it was the same call that God gave to Jonah in chapter one. One pastor put it this way. He says, the thing about second chances is that God often takes you back to the place where you said no. You know, you may want to try to ignore it or act like nothing happened. You can maybe say, God, let's just sweep the past in the, under the rug and let's move on. But here's the thing about God. God is not going to take you anywhere until you get back to the place where you said no. And then in that place, you say yes to him. Maybe you had said no about a, a bad relationship. Maybe you said no about a bad decision. Maybe you said no about serving him. Maybe you said no about sharing uh, your, his love with other people. God will take you to that place, wherever it is, where you said no and teach you by his grace to say yes. God forgives of sin, but he's also determined. And what I've learned is Adrian Rogers says, God will never flunk you, but he will re-enroll you till you learn what to do. You know, good parents bring their kids to the place of disobedience so that they can learn to make the right decision. 
I have three children, and at times they don't always do, believe it or not, what they're supposed to do. And what we try to do as parents is we say, listen, let's try this again. We discipline them, and then we take them back to the place and say, listen, are you going to make the right decision? And if they say no, we go and discipline them again. If they say yes, we praise the Lord that they can finally move on in obedience. Here's what you see about God. God doesn't budge on his plans. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. God doesn't lighten Jonah's load here. He didn't say, okay, well, you know what? That was such a tough task. Let me give you something simpler. Matter of fact, why don't you just tweet the king of Nineveh? Why don't you just go on Facebook Live and do some sort of message so that you can stay in the comfort of Israel and just let it broadcast to the king of Nineveh so that you don't have to be afraid? Listen, that's not what God did. God did not bend to make Jonah's life temporarily better. And God's not necessarily going to bend to make your life temporarily better when there is something larger, long-term, that is at stake. So Jonah, the Bible says in verse 3, arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He did what God told him to do. In the fish's stomach, he said in chapter 2, verse 9, what I have vowed, I will pay. See, what Jonah needed and what some of us need is we need to be broken, we need to be melted We need to be molded. We need to be filled with the love of God for other people before we can ever be any use to God. And so what's what happened to Jonah? Maybe that's what's happening in your life. Sometimes God has to get us to that place where we see our desperate need for him so that we can then be obedient to what he's called us to do. And here's what I want you to get from this. Do you understand that God cared about Jonah God, now think about this, was more interested in Jonah than what Jonah accomplished. You say, really? I'll say, yeah. Here's why. If it was all about Jonah's project to go to Nineveh, if it was all about that, then God would have just discarded him and found someone better. He would have sent another prophet. But God not only pursued Nineveh, but God pursued Jonah. Because here's what I want you to understand. God is not a user. God is a father. And his mercy and compassion for Jonah ran to Jonah. Now, think about this. This this may kind of blow some of all of our minds. Do you realize that God knew all along that Jonah would run? Has it ever dawned on you that nothing dawns on God? See, God rescued Jonah not because God needed Jonah. God rescued Jonah because Jonah needed God. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But yet he pursues us because of his amazing grace and love for sinners like you and me. And the reason why God may pursue us in strange ways is because he loves you. We don't know what God is doing in all of this in our world today, but but if you're watching online, if you're, if you're listening to messages, if you're getting closer to God through what's going on, that's God working in your life to bring you back to him because he loves you. He's pursuing you for his glory and for your good. He wants to bring you back to himself. And that's what we see in Jonah. Now, later on, we're going to see that Jonah's going to mess up again and God's going to be very gracious to him. But here in this moment, God showed some amazing grace to a rebellious prophet. But let me just, not only that, not only do we see the the return and the restoration of a rebellious prophet, but I want you to see the repentance of a wicked city. Now, chapter 3, 
says this. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So Nineveh has not changed. Nineveh is still a great city. Some, some readers or some scholars say that, that, that the phrase here, exceedingly great city, can be interpreted a city, of, a city to God or a city of the gods. It was known as a very cultural, religious center of Assyria. It was rich. It was powerful. But it was also very wicked. It was very violent. It was large in population, large in size. We know that because there was at least 120,000 children in the city. And, and Jonah here goes. He goes in verse 4. He says, and Jonah began to go into the city. He goes. Now, Jonah didn't want to go, but now he goes. And it seems like in this moment, at least, that Jonah's fears are melted by the grace of God. Whatever kept Jonah from going had no power over him now. So he boldly enters into that great, violent, wicked city preaching the word of God. Now, think about this. You imagine Jonah coming into town. He's just been vomited by a fish. The gastric juices of the fish's stomach, in my sanctified imagination, begin to think that maybe they, are, they have washed over his body for 72 hours. He has been pickled for 72 hours. I'm sure that probably, now this is again my imagination, thinking that his skin and his hair are now bleached white. So he walks into the city glowing like an angel but smelling like the devil. He's now a street preacher. He runs around the city with the message that God has given him. Here's what the message is. The Bible says that he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There, there are eight words in English, five in Hebrew. Yod, Erebaim, Ve Nineveh, Yom, Nafaket. All right, for all of you Hebrew scholars, I'm sure you just understood that Kentucky version of Hebrew. But I want you to notice that Jonah's message was a message of judgment and wrath. 40 days, or 40, just the number 40 is a big number in the Bible. It's often tied to judgment. There were 40 days of rain in in Noah's day. There were 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness. There were 40 was the number of stripes that would be the penalty of a guilty man. 40 in the Old Testament meant this, that if things don't change, there are going to be dire consequences. See, Jonah here is a judgment preacher. He is not soft-serving or soft-peddling or watering down or sugar-coating the message. The warning was from Jonah, but ultimately from God, and that warning was God's mercy on his people. You know, we, we read warning labels on different things, and, and they're out there mainly because a lot of people have been sued. As a matter of fact, I read one on a, on a lure. That there was a package, uh, I was at Walmart and, and looking at fishing lures a, a few months ago, and, and, and on the fishing lure it said, dangerous if swallowed. <laughs> you think about that. Dangerous if swallowed. Th- these warnings are there to keep you from doing something very dumb. Well, this warning here was from Jonah saying, if things don't get better, if you don't repent then it's about to get really bad around here. Now, what some of you may not be aware of, and what I have found in research this week, is that a lot of scholars say that that there was a lot of things going on in Nineveh before Jonah showed up. Historians say that the time, right before Jonah's mission into Nineveh, there there was a plague in 765 B.C. There was a huge plague, almost like kind of what we're going on here. Maybe it was COVID number one. I don't have a clue. 
But there was a plague going around. There, there was also in 763, two years later, some great political instability. There was some infighting. There was great political divisions. There was the, 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 the Nineveh Republican Party against the Nineveh Democratic Party. There was great revolts, different things like that. There was also in the same year, 763, famine, and then also some unusual solar activity. Namely, there was about about one or two solar eclipses. Now, all of those things that happened were signs to the people of Nineveh that something far worse was coming. Now, that's historically documented. It's not made up. And I believe what God was doing is he was setting the stage for his prophet. See, God often sends a lot of crisis to get people's attention. In this particular incident, we see that the, the, the crisis that happened prior to Jonah coming into town made the prophet's message more powerful and the people listened more attentive. See, God doesn't waste a good crisis. And God throughout all of history, if you kind of read it, has used crisis moments to get people's attention. Many people and many of you that are listening to me became a Christian out of a time of crisis in your life. And what happens is is that God gets our attention through the crisis. And here's what I want to ask you. Is God trying to get your attention? What is God trying to say to our country? What is God trying to say to our world? Is God using the financial, social, political, medical crisis of our day to teach us something? I mean, if you remember back in 9-11, when all it seems like the world was falling apart and terrorism was winning the day, that the, that the country rallied together and came closer to God, and they, the churches were filled and people had a renewed sense, we're going to follow God. But, but guess what happened just a few months or years later? It, temp, it, it, it just kind of went away. You know, we tend to get it, and then we tend to forget it. But I think that God is trying to teach us something. And, and I, I want you to think that, if anything, the past few weeks have taught us that we're not as strong as we think we are. We, we were boasting as Americans of our great economy. We were boasting of just all the wonderful ways of life that we have. We were looking at other countries down and thinking, wow, we're, we're so much better than them. We'll never have any problems. But then notice it was all taken away. And perhaps that's the judgment of God or perhaps it's God just getting our attention. Because those of us who read the Bible and trust the Bible... We know that judgment is coming because the judge is coming. Now, notice what happens in verse number 5. Jonah comes in, he preaches, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Bible says in verse number 5 that the people believe. Now, notice who they believe, God. Not Jonah, but God. They believe God's warning of judgment, even though this washed-up preacher gave it to them. And and the fact that some washed-up preacher literally would be the person that God would use and and actually would get the people to believe is a result of God's sovereign grace and his appointed moment for Nineveh. It was a miracle of God. The storm and the sea creature are nothing compared to what God did in the hearts of the Ninevites. Just continue to read in verses 6 through 9, the Bible says that the king sends out a message into the entire land. Word reaches the king. The king comes down from his throne. He tears his clothes. 
He sits in ashes. This is a sign of deep mourning. When you rend your clothes, it is a reflection of inner torment in your heart. He commanded everyone in the entire kingdom, everyone in the city, to turn from their sins, to rip their clothes, and to sit in ashes. He even says that this is for man and beast. Now, why, the, why, the, why should the cows have to mourn? I mean, what did the cows do that was so wrong? And the issue is nothing. But all the cows and all the animals and all the people didn't eat a thing, showing their seriousness. They, they rended their clothes, and they sat in ashes. And all throughout the city of Nineveh, there was mooing and there was mourning. And everyone repented, from the king to the kids. The entire city had turned to God and turned from their sin. It was national revival. I pray that that happens in America. I pray that happens in this church. I pray that happens in your life. In verse number 8, he says, let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hand. That word turn from is the Hebrew word, which is really the word repentance. The, the word repentance is to turn from. And basically, he says, let us stop doing what we have been doing and let's do what God wants us to do. And he says in verse 9, who knows? Who knows? Maybe by doing this, God will forgive us. The wind of judgment gave hope to forgiveness. The king doesn't defend Nineveh. He understands that they deserve the wrath of God, but yet he pleads for mercy. That's what repentance is. What, what is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind and heart about yourself, about your sin, and about your God. It is turning from your thoughts and affections and actions to God and, to his, and his thoughts, affections, and actions. Repentance is a conviction of your own sin that leads you to confession of your sin that causes you to turn from it and to do what is necessary to make things right. And what we need to repent of is sin in our lives. What we need to repent of is areas in our life where we have missed God's mark and we have not done what God has called us to do. And you know the areas in your life that you need to ask God forgiveness is we need to ask God to forgive us of our sin. But I want to just say something else. We're going to talk about this more next time, that we need to ask God to forgive us of our own self-righteousness, of trying to save ourselves, of trying to be our own gods, of trying to live for our own pleasure and trying to make our way to heaven. You have to turn from that. See, what we're seeing in America is kind of this, is that maybe some of you are saying, well, you know what, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're seeing this as a wake-up call. We need to turn from our sins, and now we're going to start doing this, that, and the other. And those this, that, and the others are not bad things, but they can't save you. You can't save yourself. What real repentance is, it's acknowledging I can't save myself. I'm the cause of my own problem. Whether good or bad, I need God. See, repentance is not shifting the blame to somebody else. You know, there's a lot of people that are blaming this and blaming that and blaming the other for what's going on in the world. You can't blame other people. Real repentance is saying, listen, I am my own worst enemy. I am the cause of what's going on. Real repentance is not sorry that I've got caught. It's not saying, well, you know, this situation is bad in my life, so God, I'm going to try to get close to you so that I can kind of manipulate you. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is not regret. It's not self-pity. Repentance is acknowledging your sin and abandoning it acknowledging that you have tried to be your own savior and abandoning that notion and clinging only to God. 
And so what you see in verse number 10 is that the city of Nineveh did that. They came to God. They repented. There was national repentance. People were saying, God, we are sinful. We are turning from our ways. We are not going to continue to do what we are doing. And the verse number 10, the Bible says in verse number 10, that when God saw what they did, how that they turned, they repented from their evil way, God relented. He didn't change. He relented. He pulled back the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Now, there's a lot of things that we could say about this text, but here's the one thing I want you to take away from, and that's this. God is not obligated to his punishment, but he is obligated to his promises. God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. But if we change, then his character stays consistent with his promises. God says, if you don't repent, there is judgment. If you do repent, there is forgiveness. God stays the same. And here in this moment, he is consistent with his promises. And let me just show you the promise that he made in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8, he said, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if the nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, same word, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. That's good news. That's a promise of God. That's a promise of God for you. That if you turn to God, turn from your evil ways, he will relent and you can be saved. See, repentance plus faith equals forgiveness. Turning from sin and self-effort and turning to Jesus completely equals forgiveness. You know, I've had a lot of people in the past few days. I've had a lot of conversations with people. And some of them are saying to me, you know what, this is kind of waking me up. There are some things in my life I need to change. That's a good thing. It's a God thing. It's God speaking to you. I'm praying that it will wake up our church. It will wake up you. Maybe you've been out of church, or maybe you don't go to church, or maybe you're struggling with where you are in the world, and and does it make sense? A lot of things don't make sense to you right now. But you know in your heart that things need to change. You're trying to fix them all on your own. And this backpack of weight, of sin and guilt and shame, maybe you can't articulate it, but you're feeling it, and you feel like the world is just caving in around you. It's God saying, lay it down. Stop trying to hold on and lay it down. Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's what God did. He abundantly pardoned. He forgave. How can God do that? One of the issues that Jonah's going to have is he's going to struggle with the justice of God and the love of God. He's going to say, well, in my mind, good people get bad things and bad people, or good people get good things and bad people get bad things. It's kind of like the whole notion of karma in our day. Maybe that's where you're at. But here's the truth. It's not how God works. Because the real truth is none of us are good. 
But God forgives, and he gives us so many good things. How can he forgive? Here's how. Through a true and better Jonah. Years after the Ninevites repented, and they were spared by the grace of God, another Jonah would come into the world. And instead of running from his father's call, he ran to his father's call. He came preaching a message of faith and repentance, just like Jonah. But instead of being received like Jonah was received, he was absolutely and violently rejected. See, Jonah went to Nineveh at the risk of his life. But Jesus Christ came into the world at the cost of his life. And he would be crucified by his enemies. He would be thrown overboard in the sea of God's wrath. He would sink deep into the heart of the earth. But three days later, he would rise from the dead, securing forgiveness and freedom for all who come to him by faith and repentance. Many of you are shocked at what's going on in our world. Many of you are surprised by the panic, by the fear that's going on. We're surprised, we're shocked by the real threat that this could have to our health and to our economy. And maybe some of you have said, you know, how can this happen? Why, God, would you allow this to happen? God, what's wrong? Are you dead? Are you deaf? Do you not care? God, why would you allow this? And you know what, as I was thinking this week, what should be more shocking to us isn't why is all this bad happening to us. What should be more shocking to us is why have we been so blessed? Why is it that life has been so easy? Why have we lived in so much luxury? Why is it for years we've had it so good? Why is it that right now we are not in the torment of hell? And the answer of that is the grace of God. See, what should be more shocking to us should not be a global pandemic but the grace of God in our lives that we don't deserve. That should be shocking. You know, right now, maybe you're fearful and and you're afraid of what's going on, but if you're a Christian, this world's not your home. God has been so good to you, and you should never cease to be amazed by grace. The second thing I would say, though, if you're here and you're an unbeliever and you don't know Christ as your Savior, then here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say to you. I would say to you, if you're here an unbeliever, that you need to realize that God's grace in your life is available. That you can give your life to Him. You can turn to Him. And He can save you. R.C. Sproul, in, in his book, The Holiness of God, said this. He says, we're not really surprised that God has redeemed us. Some where deep inside, in the secret chambers of our hearts, we harbor the notion that God owes us His mercy, that heaven would not be quite the same if we were excluded from it. We know that we are sinners, but we're surely not as bad as we could be. We are not amazed by grace anymore. And and listen, I'm afraid that many of us are not amazed by grace anymore. But do you understand that God's grace in your life, whatever good you had in your life right now, you're watching this message Uh, with your family or with friends or if you're alive and you're breathing and you're doing well you've got food in your house you've got clothes on your body you're sitting right now in air conditioning 
It's the grace of God. And that grace is meant to lead us to repentance, to lead us closer to him. So here's what I want to say, two things real quick. Number one, salvation belongs to the Lord. Christian, share the message. Let the gospel go viral more than this epidemic. Share the word. Simple message. God can change lives. Number two, don't take for granted the grace of God in your life. Don't take it for granted. Don't take this moment for granted. Today is your opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime is only as good as the lifetime of that opportunity. Right now, God's speaking to you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes just where you are. I know it may be weird, but you can do it. And I just want you in this moment just to thank God for all that he's given you. Thank him. Say it out loud. Say it to yourself. For all the good things he's given you this week, just thank him. And then if you're here and you're listening to me and you know in your heart this weight, this guilt, this burden, that I want to just say lay it down. Lay it down at his feet. And ask him to forgive you. To forgive you of your sin. To forgive you of your self-righteousness. Maybe you're here and you need to trust him as your savior. Just ask him right now, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve nothing but judgment. But, But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Whatever you have, whatever decision you've made or want to make, if you're watching on Facebook Live or you are watching on our streaming, on our website, there's a link that for on the websites, it's underneath uh, the screen that you watch this on, on the page. It's called Taking My Next Step. And if you're on Facebook Live, there'll be a link provided for you. Taking your next step. Here's what I want. I want everybody to do this. Just so that we know. I don't care where you are, where you live. Just take a couple minutes and just fill out that next step. And if you made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you put that on there, that I've trusted Jesus. There's a place for prayer requests and comments. Put put whatever prayer requests you need. We're going to be praying for you. The church is, listen, we may not be able to gather, but the church is not closed. The church is always open. And so whatever your needs are, go and take that next step. Whatever we can do to help you, we will. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.